Hey, CEOs. Welcome back to the CEO Wing Woman podcast. I'm your host, Christy Bowie. And you know saying about how when you become a business owner, you take on so, so many roles. And for me, that has been so true. And unfortunately, one of my least favorite is sales. I just don't know how to talk to people, what to say. I'm really just so in my element serving people, but getting them on board has really been one of those roles as a business owner that has been so hard to embrace. And I know that I'm not the only one who feels this way. So I am so excited to bring on an expert today. Today, we're going to be talking to Candace D'Angelo. Candace went from doors being slammed in her face, being told no repeatedly, and almost getting fired on multiple occasions to winning major multi-million dollar accounts, becoming sales rep of the month for multiple months, and becoming the go-to sales rep for training newly hired sales reps to hit the ground running and becoming an expert too. She puts much emphasis on long-lasting, sustainable situation as opposed to the quick and instant gains, especially when it comes to sales. Candace decided to show business owners how to love sales and selling by staying true to their skill set and shine through as the go-to coach for ambitious business owners. Candace, I am so excited you're here because I'm literally about to pick your brain myself. That is my favorite. I love it. It seems very reactionary, but that's where you get the most like authentic training and very customized training for you is picking my brain. So thank you for having me. It is truly an honor to be here. Yes. Okay. Well, I am so excited. And I know we just read a little bit about your brief story in your bio, but can you give us kind of your perspective of how you went from this whole, you know, constantly being shut down and how you were able to pick yourself up instead of saying, no, this isn't right for me, which I think a lot of people fall into how you said, no, no, I'm going to change my outcome and change my position in this. And and now you are not only doing it well, you're teaching others how to do it well. What a neat perspective. I don't think about the latter of that sentence often <laughs> enough, but it's true. Like I've transitioned into teaching. So I always remember like when I thought about quitting or those thoughts, those negative thoughts started creeping in. I always remembered why I wanted to do this in the first place. And me quitting me meant I was quitting my family. So I really put those together because my family sacrificed for me to be able to have that sales job. Because let me tell you, the salary was nothing. It was, I think I was getting paid $24,000 a year in salary. I had unkept commission, but but you got to earn that. that. So (laughs) I I had to really make it work. I had to make it happen because it wasn't just for me. My family was also like rooting for me. So anytime that I even now feel like possibly being like, this isn't for me, or even like having those self-doubts, I remember why I started this and not just my why. Unfortunately, I don't believe in in a my why. I believe that there's a my feeling when I decided to do this. And what was that feeling? And I remind myself to gut check myself. Like you, you already made the decision to to do this. You can't go back. That's what keeps me from quitting. And that's what keeps me moving forward. I love that because I think we all get to a place when we're like, oh, this is just too hard. And and I love how you said the feeling because I think the my why is like such a word that's like thrown around out there. It's like, why do you do it? And it's like, okay, but like, how do you actually feel about it? And I I think that's such an important thing to bring up. So 
Can you kind of tell us what was the pivot point for you? Or I guess probably I'm guessing it was a lot more gradual of you learning how to overcome. And what were some of the things I'm guessing there was a lot of like emotional internal issues that you had to overcome in order to start this journey. So where did you really start and say, I'm going to change my outcome? What do I do first? It's twofold. One, there's the door-to-door sales and then there's the online sales. And I I really can pat myself on the back. And a while ago, I was like, no, you shouldn't like talk about yourself like that. But I totally should because I worked hard for it. But I've mastered both. I've mastered online sales and I've mastered offline sales. So they do look a little bit different. Offline sales is a lot more, it's difficult in a different way because you're face-to-face with people and you really have to show up and you really do have to like present. So that's what, like you have to overcome your fear of talking to people face-to-face. And so I just had to not care about how I was going to be perceived more so was my message going to be received. So that was the overcoming factor in my outside sales. But online sales was different because you're talking to people, essentially, you could be talking to people in the DMs and never see them face to face. Ideally, you'd want to, but not always the case. So you really have to be very delicate in your conversation. So really being more patient uh, in online sales versus momentum is key in offline sales. So you really had to be able to understand the two of them. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think especially in the on- online world, I was talking about this with my coach the other day, like people are so hyper aware when you're trying to sell to them right now and they will just shut down, which like I'm the same, right? And so having those conversations be a little bit more patient and less of a sales pitch, I think is so important. So when you are talking to people, maybe in the DMs, what does that look like for you? And how does the conversation start if it's not a hard sale? And I, in my mind, know that this is going to take a few months. Like I'm talking months Mm -hmm. until you can even have that conversation with people because there's the marketing that works for you. That's on your feed and your stories. That's the marketing. That's that selling piece. The conversations can't be the same thing as your marketing. And that's why people are feeling that. But if you hop in and you're like, thanks for the follow. Is there anything I, what made you decide to follow me? And it's like, that's too much for my brain to think about. Like now I'm on like display. I'm being interrogated. And if you, I literally got one of those the other day and I was like, wait, what, what am I supposed to respond? I think I literally was like, now you, I followed you and now you're right. Now you're making me like what, like you're questioning why I'm following you. And it's like, you know what? I just like you. Maybe I actually so. didn't want to now. Like, yeah, now I don't know if I want to. But sometimes you follow people because you're like, you know, I, oh, you're in that beginning stage of like, you know what? I've needed this service before. Don't know if I'm going to need it again. So let me go ahead and give them a follow and that way I can, they can be more present on my feed and I won't forget about them. But when I'm presented with a, hey, thanks for being here and giving me that follow, what made you decide? Let me know if there's anything I can do. And it's just very pushing. And, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan. Like make people your best friends. That's, that's sales. I love that. So do you have any, obviously, There's not going to be canned things because we do want to make it, you know, make people our friends. But how do you kind of start conversations with somebody instead of just existing together in the online space? How do we begin to make that friendship? So this is a a very critical stage in just owning a business. And where I messed up 
in my early days of sales, I would go into an account and I would say, hey, you know, let me know if you have any patients that need a, a, a stim unit or need a brace or and it's like, well, that's off putting. And so I had to change the way in which I approach. It's all in your approach. So I decided, you know what? I'm not going to go in and ask for anything. What is my objective before I walk in this door? And I always had an objective. And that was find out what the nail polish color is that the doctor is wearing. And that was it. So I would go in. I'd see the doctor be like, oh, my gosh, I love that nail color. What's the name of that nail color? And he'd be like, oh, uh, Cajun shrimp or whatever it is. Cool. I think I'm going to get that next time. Where do you go? Where do you get your nails done? So the conversation is a lot more friendlier. You're you're putting that you're asking them questions about themselves. And let me tell you, I don't care who you are. People like to talk about themselves. It's a compliment. People feel complimented when you ask them about themselves. So I think there is a lot to be said about using that in any atmosphere. So I use that same tool in online sales if I care about it. So if I find something on your story and I'm like, oh, my gosh, where did you get that top? I mean it. I really do mean it. Where is this? You know, what what's the name of that smoothie or that like drink looks so good? What is it made of? I'm serious. I mean it. I will not start a conversation with you. And that's a promise that I made to myself. I promised myself I would not start conversations unless I meant it. I think that is so such a good point because we know that I've already said that people can catch kind of when you're selling to them, but people can also catch like fake compliments. And the internet and just people in general are getting very, very smart. And so I think that a lot of the old tactics that people were taught don't really work anymore. So I know that you've had experiences with these old tactics of, you know, oh, quick wins and maybe sleazy sales. What do you think are some of the most dangerous things out there right now that business owners are being told on how to sell? Very great question. I'll be honest with you. I've never been asked that question before. Oh, yeah, I have a few. They're not your buyer. If you're if they're not willing to pay your price, they're not your buyer. And I think that is a very I think it's very dangerous. I think that's a, a false sense of confidence because that's not actually teaching you anything that you're not learning anything from that experience. I think a no is a learning experience. I think if you don't have a win, that's a learning experience. So the dangerous thing that we're being told is, well, you just have to move forward. They're not your buyer. If they can't afford your prices, charge what you're worth. Oh, charge what you're worth. That is the apex of the worst piece of information. I will tell you why. Let's do it. I'm so intrigued. Let's do it. You are not a price tag. You are not a price. You don't have a price. You are priceless. You are invaluable. You supersede anything that needs to be attached. And I think that's where we're getting caught up. Mm -hmm. We then feel like we have to sell ourselves. We have to convince people of our worth and our work's worth because we're being conditioned to be told, charge what you're worth. It's not, it doesn't make any sense. What you're selling is not you. What you're selling is a service and an opportunity for that person to do better in their business. So you're providing them with that. So it really is a damn, I think it's a very damaging concept to our self-worth and our confidence and how, and our self-esteem as women, quite frankly. I think that's an incredible point to say when we do say charge what you're worth and we basically get a no, like I'm 
I'm paying you zero, we then feel like we're worth zero. And that really, really sucks. So I love that perspective. I know you also said about you don't really believe in the whole not your buyer. Can you elaborate on that? How should we, if we have a conversation with somebody, maybe they're unwilling to pay, it, it doesn't go well. How do we interpret that in a way that doesn't make us feel bad, right? Like we, we didn't suck at that, but also, you know, is a learning experience. Oh, I think you hit the nail on the head. They need, that's the first thing that needs to happen is that's why it's the selling lab. That's where the selling lab came from back in my sales days. If I didn't have a successful sales call, I would go back to my car, which I dubbed the lab, and I would dissect that entire experience and say to myself, what could I have said differently? What did they say that maybe I didn't read between the lines? Mm -hmm. And then I would go, I would replay it in my mind. And then I would say, okay, I'm going to try again. I'm going to go to this next clinic or this next office. And I'm going to try again. And I'm going to try this different angle. So I didn't just go in thinking I was going to sell all day. I used my days and my routes as my, my school. That was school for me. I learned from real life experiences. And so I think if people can take that same perspective, and get on sales call because listen, if somebody's willing to get on a sales call with you, they're buying. They're in a buying stage, whether they can afford it or not. So everybody is your buyer. So if they are on the call, they're your buyer. So we need to get rid of that thought process. What ends up happening is if the call's not successful, they weren't qualified to be your buyer, or they or you didn't ask the right questions. It's always those two things, because if you ask the right questions, you're going to minimize objection. OK, I think that makes a lot of sense. And you saying there are instances when somebody who you may have a conversation with, quote unquote, isn't your buyer. But I think what you're saying is if that happened, they shouldn't have even made it to the sales call. Correct. Totally makes sense. Yeah, I think that that's really important to really make sure we are honing in our qualification processes because I can tell you from personal experience, and I'm sure Candace can too, that having these sales calls with people who, no matter what you do right, it's not going to be a yes because they weren't qualified, because they quote unquote aren't your buyer, they can't afford you, whatever that is, you're setting yourself up to just feel like crap. Honestly, if you keep having these conversations. So the idea of qualifying your buyer before they come to you, before they get on that call, I think is really important, both from an emotional standpoint, from a time standpoint. You don't want to spend time yeah. with people on calls who aren't really ready to buy. So I absolutely love that advice. Are there ways that you would recommend people putting in qualifying factors before getting people on sales calls? Absolutely. And so specifically for online businesses, if, like if you're an online business, you have a social footprint. So your social footprints can either be Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok. And the very first place, your bio, your messaging and positioning have to be complete. They have to be bulletproof. And so when somebody reads that, they feel like you're talking to them. And when they read that and it's bulletproof, then they binge on your content. So that's the very first place that we start is positioning and qualification. So on the qualification stage, there should always be a discovery call intake form or questionnaire. And most people have that, but they're not asking the right questions. 
So on that call questionnaire, the discovery call questionnaire, there needs to be qualifying questions that lead you to know without a shadow of doubt that this person and you together can be ultra successful. I love that. And it's very interesting because I think I've been told in the past that you don't want to add friction to your system, right? Like sometimes that's something I get told. And I would, I'm not the expert, but I would throw that under the list of like dangerous things because it, I think that falls under a little bit more sleazy, right? Like you are trying to sell to people that aren't right for you. And if you take the time to figure out whether they are right for you, can you actually do what they want? That's a conversation I was having with someone the other day. It's like, you don't want to sell to someone that you're not capable of providing the services they want, right? If you don't have confidence that you can do it, it's okay for them to not be right for you, for you to not be right for them. So looking at this intake form that we do want to add friction to our system (laughs) intentionally, what are some of those questions that we should be asking there to get all the information we need? But we want to be cognizant that we aren't like giving them a homework assignment. I think it's okay to give them a homework assignment because that further filters them into being serious about getting to you. No, I think it's actually, we do, there's some mindset work that needs to happen around that thought process. And listen, people are used to it now. Two years ago, maybe not, but now they are used to that. So it's an expectation on their part at this point. So some questions that you definitely want to ask are, I have three that are imperative. One, are you the decision maker? Or are there any other decision makers that will be affecting if you move forward or not? That's one, knowing how many decision makers there are. The second one is making sure that you ask the budget question. And the budget question in the form of a drop down, not what's your budget? And people put, I don't know. Like the budget needs to be not just drop down, but a drop down of how much your services cost. So usually people are going to pick the bottom one. So I always tell people to anchor your pricing to $200 above what your lowest price point is. So that way, when they select it and then you come in under in your proposal, it's a win for the client. Makes them feel better about buying. So that's the second piece. Excuse me, Christy, give me one second. I just lost my third piece. Budget, decision makers. Oh, I got my third one. What would stop you from moving forward? And that's a really big one to know and understand because it gives the buyer a moment to be like, well maybe budget or finances. And then you know that about that going into it. So even though they answered the budget question, you have a good under, it's not just for the client too. It's also for you to really understand where they are in in their head so that you know what to speak to on that discovery call. A lot of times people get on a discovery call and I've critiqued over 200 in the last year. They get on the discovery call and they're like, tell me about your business. What have you been up to? And it's an insult. Like, you mean to tell me you didn't do any research on my business? Now I have to sit here and tell you all about my business? So, like, immediately, that's one of the first things we teach is do your homework. And that discovery call is to confirm everything they put on that questionnaire. The discovery call, I think, is wrongfully named. It should not be where you discover anything. I think that questionnaire is a discovery questionnaire. And the call is to confirm and make sure they're ready to buy. I think that is such a good point. And if you saw me writing notes, I wrote that. What would stop you? I think I have one that says like, why is now the right time or something, you know, to try to get 
to see what the positive is. But I love that negative. So you can already be prepared when you come into the call. Well, this might be a negative. Here's why that might not be applicable to you at this time. So that, you know, it's the whole like overcoming objections. And I, I, I'm a little conscious about getting too aggressive about that because I don't believe we should force people to make decisions. And I think some some salespeople are like, list every objective they might objection they might have and throw away. That's not true. And it's like, well, if you give me 15, like I I don't maybe we're not a good fit anyway. I don't I yeah. don't want to I think I said this before, you know, to a potential client. It was like, if you have this many objections going in with me right now that haven't been overcome, I don't want to those to continue the rest of the relationship. I don't want to feel like I am constantly having to prove myself. I mean, obviously, I do good work, right? That's how I prove myself. But I don't know. There, there's a little bit of that there. So I, I love that question to see really what maybe triggers them in that way. So talking about then we do, they fill out this form. We feel like they're very qualified. They book a call. And what do you recommend? I know you said do your research, which Fun fact, I'm just going to throw in here because I work on like taxes and like enemy structures. I love seeing like what people are registered with as the state. I literally go to their state website. You can go to the secretary of state and look at their business registration. And I mean, not everybody has to do this, but depending on what level of service you provide and what you do for people, you can see Mm -hmm. who the owners are. Do they have a lawyer on file? Are they up to date with all their filings? So many things that's going to, at least for my services, give me opportunities. Hey, I noticed this was out of date or you don't have a registered agent or something. Or or that other piece. I love knowing, do they have a partnership, right? Like that kind of tells you the other decision yeah, makers. Yeah. So just a fun little fact, you can find so much about people yeah. on their business registration. So I just wanted to throw that fact in there because I do that a lot. Um, I love it. That's actually really helpful. And I'm going to use it. Yes. Too. Oh my gosh, you do. Yeah, you should. Um, so we do get to this, um, discovery or, you know, whatever it is, we're going to call it call. How long do you actually recommend those be? I've heard a lot of different, it should be short. It should be long. What, what is your recommendation on structuring? I think that as humans, we have a short attention span. I would say that it's like, it's like the quote, read the room. If, you know, that person is talking and you don't get a word in edgewise, you need to make mental note of that and bring them back and cut them off. And you just have to be firm. I mean, this is a business. This isn't a friendship, even though I tell you to make people your best friends. At the end of the day, it's a business. And if the call goes way off track because they're talking too much, you really got to cut them off. But if you're flowing back and forth and you're really gelling, just make a mental note and say, hey, I'll let this go on for a couple more minutes. And then I'll be like, we could talk forever, but I really got to get back to this. And so that's what people want. People are free to take charge and, you know, handle the conversation and, and control the conversation because they feel like they're going to come off as very bossy or whatever their predisposed expectations of how it should go come into play. But really, that's people don't want to give you a high ticket dollar amount if you're not confident. And if you're not, you don't come off as very confident and being able to handle the piece of the business that they're about to give you and how you convey that is maintaining the control of the conversation. That's a good point. Making sure that we are having that presence of somebody who, hey, I'm worth you paying me to do this because I can command a room. I can command a space and a conversation when I need to. 
and I'm going to treat your business the same way. Because thinking about it, that's exactly how I want somebody who I work with to be, right? I want them to be so confident in what they're saying and what they're doing that they just command the attention of everybody who's there. So once we have got them on this sales call, we're kind of going back and forth. Do you have a structure for the conversation, whether that be their needs, the budget, the sale? What? How do you approach that? Yeah, absolutely. So we do, we created a sale, it's called sales call flow sheet. And the sales call flow sheet does break down each step into categories and how that call should flow for a very successful call and being able to control the conversation. We always open up with how do you feel about doing your own taxes, for example. And what you want to do is you want to get sub-level. You want to get as deep as you can from the get-go because they that's a very real and raw response rather than, so tell me about your business. It's like, oh, that's exhausting, right? I don't know anything about doing my own taxes, nor do I want to know anything about doing my taxes. I have a hate relationship with taxes. Well, like off the bat, you know, I don't like it. I don't want to do it myself. So off the bat, you have a feeling. You have me in my feelings. You have me in all the feels. And that's where you want your buyers mm-hmm. on a call is in their feelings, not in their head. Because in their head, they know to tell you, no, no, no. How do I get out of this? How do I not do this? And their, tra- their mind is trained to do that. But if you get in their feelings, those are very, that's a very honest place. That's a hard place. Right. We've all made bad choices in relationships like our heart wants what our heart wants and it can't help it. But our mind's like, don't do it. Don't do it. It's the same thing. If you get into the feelings, you're going to get the real response. But if you only get into the head, you're going to get whatever their mind is trying to convey. So asking them really, you know, the questions that about your service that they you know, to see how they feel in addition to that question that we've kind of asked, what was it? What would stop you? See, I wrote it down. Is that generally, do you start to feel in that beginning? Is that what you kind of use to then continue to sell? Like the emotions that they give you there? And it's it's really important to mirror back to them so that they know that you actively listen. So when they tell you what that response is, so I I hate taxes. I don't like them. I don't want to know anything about them. I want you to do them for me. Great. I just want you to know you're in the right place. Every single one of my clients come have come to me in the beginning and saying the same thing. And they've been on board with me for X number of years. Okay, so now you're showing me proof of concept. You're showing me proof that once I get in, it's all taken care of. Everybody loves you. They came to you with the same issues. So after that, you want to make sure that you're getting a lot, a lot of yeses, right? Like sales is a yes ladder. So you got some is it okay if I just mirror back to you or confirm to you like what I heard? And then you will say yes. So you get your first yes. Do we train people to take this dialogue very seriously? You get your first yes. Great. You said this, this, and this. Is that correct? Yes. You get two yeses before you even get into anything else. So those are the the big icebreakers, right? Those are the big pieces that we have to make sure that we're doing on every single discovery call. Okay, so we get them into their feelings and then we kind of talk about mirror that back to them, right? Make sure they know what they're talking about. See, look, I'm doing this to you right now. Look at me go. Yes. And then at the end, when it comes to the asker, like the sale, are you someone who believes we need to get it on the call or what is your belief on that? I don't think that people, I think it's a very small percentage that people are ready on the call unless... You guys have had conversations elsewhere 
they have been in your funnel for a very long time. They've downloaded all your freebies. It depends. However, I just, I don't think people are saying yes on the call in a large percentage. I still think that you can get a yes. It's a goal, right? And it also depends on your business model. Are you sending a proposal? Because if you're sending a proposal, you're not going to get a call, a yes on the call. You have to get a yes after the proposal. If you're doing a one-call close, you're showing them their options on the call. They're already aware because when you qualify somebody, they should already know your pricing. They should already know what it's going to cost them. If that's the case, if you've qualified them, which through this podcast, you've qualified them, you could potentially get a yes on the call. You should get a yes on the call. So if we are in a business model where maybe we don't get yeses on the phone or we send proposals. I know for me, like, that's how my I, I say things. I also, I'm very empathetic to people who don't say yes on the call because, I, like, my brain doesn't process when somebody tells me something. I need it, like, in front of me. And it has nothing to do with whether I am interested or not. But if I, like, don't see it in writing on an email or something... I just can't think the same way. So I'm, I tend to be somebody who sends a proposal and like, if you need it in front of you, here you go, because that's how I am. But if we do get to the place, we felt like they were really on board with us. They just kind of needed to see the proposal. They needed some time to think about it. What should that follow-up look like? You should do a proposal review. You should, before you get off of the first call, you should book a second call okay. or a proposal review. I, and I also think in your field and what you do specifically, it's a little different because the people that are coming to you are on such the further part of the spectrum, you know, like maybe they're website designers and like we're talking about two totally different like parts of the brain working. So I feel like it's, uh, don't think it's an easier sell, but not easy. So I think it also depends on the service that we're talking about. For website designers or creatives, that's a little bit trickier because it's a very hyper-saturated market, especially in the online space. So I think that there's going to be a lot of comparison between you and maybe somebody else, right? Price points are going to be a comparison. But you should always book a proposal review call and you'll usually get that yes on that proposal review. So after we've sent that proposal review, we have the second call. Is that just kind of reviewing the options? Is there another kind of harder sale from us on that call? Yeah. Yeah. So there's some closing techniques that I recommend. One of the bigger ones on the discovery call. One of the closing techniques on the discovery call is asking that question, you know, what would it what would be the reason why you wouldn't move forward? I personally ask that question on my questionnaire, so I don't have to ask it on the call. I just confirm it. And then we go a little bit deeper into it on the call. And I try to overcome that as an objection on the call. But the proposal review call is, that's really where you, you go at the end. And you want to keep it close-ended, not open, because open-ended sounds like this. So how does that sound? And it's like, oh, it sounds like it's hard to answer. Don't make them think hard at all. Mm -hmm. What you should ask them is, which option is the best one for you? Or what start does June 1st 
as a start date work for you? So you have to like, is a yes or no, or one or two, you're having them choose between something. One, it's less work for the brain. That's psychologically, that is backed by psychology and sales. You do not want them to do any thinking more than they already have to. And so you're, ha- you're presenting them with something. And which one do you like better? Oh, this one. It's just psychology based. So at the end of that call is asking them, which one do you want to go ahead and get started with? And people will be afraid to ask it in that way because it seems salesy and it seems pushy. But all you're doing is making it easy for your buyer to decide. Where you feel scared is you're afraid that they're going to be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're afraid of the rejection that might come after that. Whoa, well, I'm not ready to make a decision yet. And that's not really an objection. That's just a fear based on their own because they've had a qualification process. They've been on a discovery call. They're on a proposal call. They've watched. So why aren't, and I, this is me. Tell me why you're not ready yet. You don't have to say it mean. You're not mad. Just tell me why you're not ready yet. What would make this a yes for you today? What would make this a yes for you tomorrow? These are important questions to ask, but critical questions to ask because they're in their fields again. Remember, they're in their fields again and you have to make it a safe space for them. So just walk them through why. Why is a very powerful question. All right. I'm, again, writing all of these down because <laughs> do not leave that open-ended. I think that's a really big thing that we when we don't want to be sleazy or pushy with sales, sometimes we go too far the other way and say, yes. I give you the floor. And that's kind of not that's kind of not what we need to do. And I'm pointing at myself here. <laughs> but I think that is an incredibly good uh, tip. And I have these all written down. But Candace, I think this is the perfect place to close because we did just walk through the entire process. And I know I feel so much confident already about having more sales calls, having this process. So I just want to thank you so much. If our audience does want to find you or work with you, where can they do that? Well, so you can find me at the Selling Lab on Instagram. And you can also go to the sellinglab.com, which is our website. We do have a free community. Join us. Come talk. We do free trainings in our community. Amazing. I'm going, again, writing myself a note to check all this out. And to our listeners, those will, of course, be linked in the show notes. So Candice, thank you so much for being here. And to our CEO listeners, I hope you learned so much. Reach out to Candice. Tell her what you've learned. Tell me how much you've enjoyed listening to the show. And we will see you next week. Bye. Bye.